you're tuned into Decay Mag Podcast Online source for horror, thriller and sci-fi entertainment news Good afternoon, good evening, good morning My name is Ken Artus, founder of DK Mag You're listening to DK Mag Podcast Season 8, Episode 1 Joining me as co-host this evening is Stacy Cox, staff correspondent for DK Mag. Be sure to stop by our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash DK Mag. Your donations will help us bring future episodes. As a patron, you will receive bonus content as well as free and discounted on upcoming DK Mag merchandise. Thank you, Stacy. And joining us as guest co-host on today's podcast is Stephen Gillespie from Possessed Radio, which is a podcast such as ours that covers the wide spectrum of horror entertainment mediums. Uh, thank you for joining us today, Stephen. Oh, thank you, guys. I'm happy to be here. And later on today, Stephen, we got to put you on the spot, give you a, a mini interview, pick your brain on the various aspects of par, as well as uh, your, your time on Possessed Radio and various other questions that will remain top secret for the time being. <laughs> Sounds like a blast. <laughs> And we're going to kick off our podcast with segment one movie news covering a few topics which uh, share a similar theme, which is the dreaded theme reboots. Without further ado. Segment 1 Movie News, MGM working on Child's Play Reboot. Remakes, remakes, remakes. MGM is developing a remake of the 1988 horror classic Child's Play. Lars Klepberg, I probably butchered that name, uh, is set to direct the script by Tyler Burton Smith. Produced by David Katzenberg and Seth Graham Smith. Executive producing Aaron Schmidt. Uh, no, not, not much information is given on the plot as all of that is uh, remaining under wraps for right now. No cast or anything has been confirmed. Ah, uh, uh, so Ken, I know we uh, talked about this little so I'm going to put our guest Stephen on the spot. Stephen, what do you think about um, Child's Play Reboot? Well, it, it's kind of a tricky situation. And personally speaking, I'm not, I'm not a big reboot guy. I, I think the horror community has a problem right now with kind of recycling ideas. And I'd like to see some more originality, but... Personally speaking, Child's Play for me is really important because it's one of my all-time favorite series. I named two of my dogs that have had my life Chucky. And it, it it's kind of a, a skeptical thing for me just because, like you said, there, there's not a lot of information on this. And 
I've seen some people online talk about how they're they're really worried because it said they're going to use a, a really technologically advanced doll. And I'm not too concerned from that aspect just because I think if you look at the 1988 original, I would say that the original Chucky doll was probably kind of technologically advanced for its time. So I guess it really depends how, how in depth they're going to make that. But I do think it's going to be dangerous while at the same time having this TV show that's actually kind of promoting its own continuity while this other film is going to be taking on a, a new look at Chucky or just kind of the spirit of child's play. And I don't know if you look at something that has a, a main character that's been kind of discontinued, at least for a brief time. So if you look at something like Halloween three, which I think is currently getting a lot more love now than it ever has people were pretty skeptical about that just because they changed direction and they changed ideas and i i don't know i i guess right now there's not enough information established so i i'm hopeful that it's going to be good but i'm i'm very skeptical personally yeah and there seems to be some type of secrecy going on because mgm uh, is creating the film and Universal is doing the TV show. So MGM is creating this film under the radar. And from my sources here, it's going to have a different title until they release the film. And uh, touching base on what you've mentioned, Stephen, yeah, according to my source, the DAO is going to be technically advanced. Maybe that would appeal to current social uh, state that we're in that everyone is on their cell phones so maybe that would come into play as a commentary but I'm not feeling the group of kids uh, they're trying to emulate the stranger things aesthetic that they have a, a group of kids it, I mean it worked for it but it is a more it has more of a cult following is Stephen King uh, I don't know how that would replicate here on Child's Play. And do we really need another reboot? I know, Stacy, you've seen Child's Play like, what, 200 times already? Oh, so many times. It's also one of my favorite franchises. And I always have to say, I, I have to exclude Bride of Chucky, Seed of Chucky, and Cause of Chucky. Um, just because... Yeah, I, I don't feel that those count. <laughs> they do not count to me. Uh, the first, second, third movie, and then Curse of Chucky. To me, that's all Chucky. And um, I am so disappointed when, with the Bride of Chucky, Seed of Chucky, and Cult of Chucky. I felt like after the disappointment of Bride of Chucky and Seed of Chucky, when Curse of Chucky came out, then it got back. To, you know how I, I feel how Chucky was supposed to be this you know cold-hearted killer you know serial killer and everything and then when Cult of Chucky came out I thought it was going to follow in the footsteps of Curse of Chucky and keep that going and it was another disappointment so uh, with this with this reboot I really do have um mixed feelings because while Chucky is a childhood favorite of mine and always will be 
I feel like it's going to be messed up. It's going to be another disappointment, especially with the whole take of the kids. I don't know what that's about. Now, when it comes to the TV series, I could probably see that. But only if the TV series kind of branches off into its own and not really stick too much to the movie. Um, I can see what the kids coming into play then because, you know, as they get into different episodes and everything, it can play out differently. But with the new remake, I no, I don't really... I'm not too fond of the whole kids and what what things and everything. I'm not too fond of that idea. Well, we, this is a topic we've discussed here on uh, many occasions, and it's regarding the film to television adaptations. They don't work at all. Is how far can you stretch, uh, let's say, a two-hour screenplay? into multiple seasons uh hannibal the exorcist psycho 12 monkeys it, these are just a few of these uh film to tv adaptations that failed and chucky uh it's not gonna translate well uh to the tv screen i mean we're living in a different era this is a different breed of horror enthusiasts and connoisseurs a killer doll running around. I don't think it's going to have mass appeal as it once did in, uh, what, 20 years ago. Uh, what are your thoughts of that particular aspect, Stephen? I would agree. I do think that, again, we're looking at this exposure thing and, you know, it's an idea that we've seen, but you never really know how the audience could react. So I wouldn't be surprised if they are trying to take this the Stranger Things kind of angle. And I also wouldn't be surprised if they're trying to get this resurgence because they saw success in the theaters with Annabelle. So I guess for me, it depends on the direction that it gets taken. Like like when you look at the, the movie or at least the information that we've been given about the movie, it says they're kind of focusing on something that's more technologically advanced. It, it kind of makes me worried, are we losing this this voodoo angle, this, you know, dark magic that is the reason for Chucky. And is it going to be more of like something that's technology gone wrong? I guess if you're trying to take something and spin it for a current generation, it's always tricky. And especially if you're doing that with a series that has honestly probably outlived a lot of its fans. I mean, for me, this series is four years older than me. So <laughs> it, it's a tough sell. I, I could see it. You, you can't please everybody. And that's that's going to be the issue they're going to have. Do they try to branch out and meet new new audience expectations or do they try to please the longtime fans? Right, right. And that's, that's a fine line to tread on. And uh, we have Dark Mirror and that that's a series right there that pushes the boundaries with blending horror thriller with technology uh, it's kind of campy seeing chucky in that field i it's totally different animal uh, final thoughts stacy on this topic uh yes i just wanted to go back to that comment you said about tv adaptation not to say that it can't work um it just when it comes to the tv adaptation it has to kind of steer into a path of its own 
um, it can't follow too directly with the with the movie because that's where you know it, it messes up. Like take the Scream series for instance, it lasted what three seasons? Am I correct, or is it going into three seasons and that's it? So it's not say that it can't work. It just it has to be its own you know path. Firestarter remake gets director. And here we have another topic that delves into the reboot realm. Uh, come on, Hollywood, please stop making these reboots. Uh, the horror genre, in my opinion, remains stagnant for the lack of ideas. And I feel that independent filmmakers are really the only creatives that are pushing the envelope into new directions without the use of eye candy everything's story driven and that's what we need right now and here we have firestarter it's getting a reboot why how the fuck should i know this movie was released in 1984 written by stephen king uh, one of my personal favorites because it stars drew barrymore which i think uh, she's a phenomenal actress very diverse in her skill set for those who haven't seen it Firestarter, here's the synopsis. A couple who participated in a potent medical experiment gain telekinetic ability and then have a child who is pyrokinetic. And pyrokinetic means you can control fire with your mind. Pretty, pretty awesome concept right there. So right now, the director is Fatih. Akin, who would be directing Firestarter for Bloomhouse and Universal. Now, my opinion on Bloomhouse. Uh, Jason Bloomhouse is a phenomenal, phenomenal businessman. He creates low-cost product and makes big profits off of them. That's the same effect, like, let's say, uh, in New York City. I would go to Chinatown and the watches instead of a rolex is a folex and i'll get the folex for ten dollars which cost them 25 cents to make and why i make that reference is because the brand of hard that he dishes out is just sub par horror it's not on the caliber that it where it should be now he's venturing into different areas let's say get out Halloween, I have my doubts on that, but now he's branching out into different things now. When the company first started, everything was just generic found footage, and that's how he built this company. So, Steven, here we go. Another reboot, Firestarter. What's your opinions on this? I guess right from the start for me, you know, and I, I could be wrong yet. I, I like to, I like to think that I give movies a chance and whether I'm skeptical or not going in, I like to stay open-minded about it. Maybe this is going to be really good. I don't know, but I think it's an interesting choice for Firestarter because when I think of going up to random people and saying, okay, what's your favorite Stephen King movie or book? I don't know how many people would say Firestarter. And yeah, it, it had Drew Barrymore, which is, you know, that's cool. Like She is a good actress and she does have a, a legacy in acting. But I honestly think that, again, this is trying to kind of 
take a look at what's popular right now and take a cue from it to make money. And realistically, when we look at Stranger Things, there's definitely a, a big correlation in the plot. And whether whether one was directly, or let me rephrase that, whether Stranger Things was directly inspired by Firestarter, I'm not sure, but you, you can't deny that the the likeness and plot is is very similar. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to hear that that was kind of a strategy for them in bringing it back now that this idea is is very popular. I mean, I don't know if they're gonna gonna cast the same girl or anything, but but I, I wouldn't be surprised to, to know that that was their angle for this. Interesting. Stacy, what are your thoughts? Firestarter. Well, Ken, I think you know what I'm going to say. My favorite <laughs> line, uh, I have not seen Firestarter yet, and this is on my watch list. What? <laughs> no way. I have heard about, yes, I know, I have heard about this film uh, many a times, and oh, I added this to my watch list a while back, and haven't gotten to it yet. <laughs> I, I would say Firestarter was the f- yeah it was the first Stephen King film I've seen right and then after that it was Salem's Lot or I may be mistaken but anyway I remember watching it as a kid and I I, I thought it was awesome fantastic and I, th- I think it was ahead of its time and touching on the aspect of really providing different aspects into horror i think during that era there was so much diversity in horror you had what zombies and slashers and uh stephen king films uh, coming out of the woodwork and each were just as as impressive as the next uh with that said stephen right now hollywood is doing the reboot engine uh do you see a shift anytime soon in original content i would like to say yes and i am hopeful just because right now personally with my podcast i i do a huge focus on on independent horror and i think you two are in the same mindset as i am with you know thinking that we need more original ideas so i like to think that there are communities that are growing that are embracing these independent filmmakers. But at the same time, with the way that marketing is kind of shifting towards giving people what they want in terms of things they already know, and just the box office numbers to prove it, I I really don't think that this is gonna be something that we see change anytime soon. I think that it's easier for them to kind of alter a script that's already established. They know that they're going to have people show up to go see it just because they've already had an established fan base. And I mean, people people live in nostalgia and, and it's a powerful tool. That is so true. And the recent slate of independent films I've seen coming out, uh, for example, Summer of 84, the trailer just dropped. And before that, there was an anthology film that also delved into the 80s aesthetic. So you're right. Your theory is perhaps solidified there that uh, the old school concepts are making a resurgence. Uh, Stacy, 
I know you haven't seen Firestarter, but let's just flip the coin here. Which Stephen King film have you seen that you just have an appreciation for uh, as a reboot or an upcoming reboot? It. <laughs> okay. Okay. Not just it, even though it happens to be my favorite um, Stephen King ever. But it, Rose Red. Well, actually, no. I don't, you know what? You said that's gonna be a remake. Um, what? I guess the only one I really know about other than these are it. Uh. I really enjoyed the remake. Um, I enjoyed the original TV, you know, TV movie. Um, and other it films. I mean, it, I keep saying it. <laughs> <laughs> other Stephen <laughs> King. I should say other Stephen King uh, works that have been turned into movies that I do like are Rose Red, Cujo, uh, The Graveyard Shift, Death desperation so those are among my favorites as well and would I like to see remakes or reboots of them uh, no not necessarily and an interesting thing I'm gonna throw it out there I have not seen the television series for it and as much as I promised myself I was gonna watch it before watching this new film so the the irony here even though i don't appreciate reboots is when i watched the film it i'm like wow this is cool so yeah that made me understand from a young perspective let's say uh a young adult going into horror and not being familiar with the older uh mediums that were released and watching it, he or she would probably say the same thing. Wow, this is cool. So in a way, Reboots does provide a modern art type feel to newer audiences that are unfamiliar with the past. Um, closing thoughts, Stephen, on this particular topic, Firestarter. Um, you know, I think that I still have to stand by that this this might just be some kind of reaching cash grab. I just don't think that Firestarter is of the caliber as far as his previous movies go for the era. I mean, I think when you look at Salem's Lot and I might be in the minority here and I believe this is also getting a, a remake, but Tommy Knockers and I, I don't know. I don't think that this one is going to to hold up. I think that they have opportunities to do something with it. Like you said, looking at kind of this more futuristic aspect of it, like being ahead of its time. I think I think it will have ways that they can handle this if they're going to make this more of a, a modern look into this story. So I think that they do have potential there. But overall, I, I'm pretty leery on this. Right, and I, I also heard that uh, Pet Cemetery is getting a reboot as well, and it's in they're getting the cast together pre-production-wise. Yeah, that one. I don't know. That's gonna be a hard sell for me because Pet Cemetery is probably my favorite Stephen King movie. So they're they're gonna have some pretty big big shoes to fill for that one. <laughs> 
Agreed. The Shining sequel in development. Rebecca Ferguson and Ian McGregor in Doctor Sleep, uh, which is the sequel to The Shining, um, which will be produced by Warner Brothers. Uh, the uh, film will be, or the film will be directed by Mike Flanagan and produced and co-producing by with uh, John Berg of Vertical Entertainment. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with Dr. Sleep, including myself, um, the synopsis is follows. Dr. Sleep follows a now adult Danny Torrance as he battles alcoholism and the trauma of what happened to him as a child in that Colorado hotel in The Shining. Along the way, he's presented with an opportunity to use the shining power he discovered in the first book in a way that can help a young girl. Um, now, when it comes to uh, The Shining, I know of it. I've attempted to watch it three times and fell asleep each on at the same scene each time. Uh, Steven, what are your thoughts on the sequel, Dr. Sleep? Well, I, I haven't read Dr. Sleep. I, I do know what it is. I have seen it floating around. Some of my friends have read it and recommended it. And I, I'm kind of excited by the concept to know the continuation of the story. And especially just kind of looking back at the history of The Shining. And not just in the fact that, you know, Stanley Kubrick's edition of The Shining is so legendary and captivating. But I also I also think it's kind of cool... Well, not so much cool, more interesting that Stephen King had his major differences with it just from the kind of contrast with the book and how things had played out. So I I guess for this one, I'm more interested to see how they play things out, if they're going to stick closer to the chest for this one and follow along with the book, if they're going to kind of allude more to Kubrick's version. I'm just curious to see the outcome and hear what people think on this one. I'm looking forward to the sequel for The Shining. Uh, I'm unfamiliar with the book, uh, but I did read the The Shining and seen the movie. Uh, there was also a made-for-TV reboot uh, from The Shining, which it was okay. It, it, eh, I prefer the original Jack Nicholson version. I think the actors in that film had more emotional content. Uh, this is, uh, you can't go wrong with the Stephen King film. Well, actually you can. Uh, that TV show got canceled after the first season. So yeah, there <laughs> there are exceptions to that. Uh, but in any event, uh, Stephen King, I appreciate his writing. The reason is, it is so character driven and the drama is rich and he has a way to manipulate the horror aesthetic around the characters which is phenomenal and the mist i i was saddened because it didn't get a second season i felt that the entities were irrelevant because the story does around revolve around the characters and in this case i'm so eager to learn about 
um, young boy uh, grown up as a man now how does he cope how does he develop and how does he continue on with this shining power that I believe he has obtained uh, that's my take on that uh, Stacy please tell me you've seen the shining I didn't hear did it, you did catch this the the original correct uh Yes and no. <laughs> I say no because, uh, as I mentioned before, I, I've attempted to watch it three times and fell asleep on the same scene each time. Okay, yeah. So, uh, okay. I want to say that was maybe about 20 minutes into the movie. So, I, didn't, I haven't watched it all the way through yet. So, we're talking about the reboot or the original that put you to sleep? No, <laughs> it's not even that. It doesn't put me to sleep. Um, just every time I tried to watch it, I've been exhausted. Oh, uh, uh, the, the Shining. I, I mean, it's based on a real location, and it's supposedly Stephen King spent the night at the at this creepy hotel, and he had some paranormal activity. Why his why he, uh, during his stay there? Uh, that's what intrigues me the most because I'm always a skeptic on the paranormal. Forty uh, percent skeptic, sixty percent uh, curious. So to read The Shining and his how he manipulated his experience into a book, it's it's phenomenal. Uh, Stephen, you you well acquainted with it. how many books are there? Just just The Shining and this one. There's uh, is there a third one? You know, I, I honestly don't know. Um, <laughs> to my knowledge, I think it's just those two. Hmm. Well, I guess this is one 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 case where we all agree that the uh, the sequel is a uh, much anticipated, and yeah, we could close it in with that. Uh, anyone has any final comments on this uh, shining sequel? I think well, the cast looks promising. I mean, Ewan McGregor's always good. Love him from Train Spotting and Star Wars, so that's a plus. Right. Yeah. And also, I was looking around, and it doesn't look like a um, a film adaptation for the sequel has been made yet. So there's that also, not like a reboot or remake or anything. So there's that. Right. Right. And. When a part, one thing that really throws a red flag is when they introduce, they as in the uh, production company, introduce big names into a horror film. I would prefer, in my opinion, lesser known actors that could develop into the character and develop their career as opposed, let's say, for example, and this is a good example here. Uh, I don't know, Brad Pitt in a zombie film. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't quite work out with the big names in horror. Another recent one was Aliens. That had a full cast. And of course, yeah, uh, it wasn't it wasn't spectacular as it should. Um, any thoughts on that, Stephen, with having big names in horror film? Doesn't make a difference. It it's kind of a an interesting concept i think when you look at a lot of people who 
kind of get their start in acting with horror you'll see them trying to almost get away from it because they're afraid they're kind of going to get stuck in that role like if you if you look at jamie lee curtis i mean she did so many roles for horror starting out and then she really strayed away from it to try to distance herself and i mean i guess looking at halloween again you've got daniel harris who's also in a ton of horror and i don't really know much else that she's gotten away from but i've I've personally heard from her a few months back actually at a convention talking about how she she kind of wishes that it was easier for her to get roles away from it so i think from that standpoint it's interesting but i i do think that a fresh face can be useful just because you don't have their background in mind when you watch it so like you talked about with brad pitt you always know he's the hero you always know he's going to come through in the end and i think when you put them in those situations you've kind of already got this anticipation for an expectation and that that's ultimately what kills a horror movie is if you already think you know the ending (laughs) yeah that is so true and you make a good point uh we interviewed actress uh vanessa grass she starred in leatherface and one of the interesting aspects of her career so far starting out as an actress all the films that she has starred in and she's going to star in are horror slash thrillers and we were kind of making a joke there that she's going to continue into this genre and appears so because of her love for the genre Uh, so yeah you're right yeah it's difficult for an actor to be pigeonholed into a certain character in a certain role and they're trying to branch out. Friday the 13th producer interested in reboot. And closing out our segment one movie news is news on the potential perhaps maybe maybe not upcoming reboot or continuation to the Friday the 13th franchise and for those who are unaware Friday the 13th right now is at a standstill and that all comes from a lawsuit from Victor Miller the original screenwriter for Friday the 13th part one and right now he's trying to fight for the rights full control of the character the franchise so on and so forth and every media that contains Jason Voorhees, his mother, Camp Camp Crystal Lake, anything associated with this franchise, it cannot be created even in video game form. And unfortunately, Gun Media, the developers behind Friday the 13th, the video game, they can't uh, release any DLCs, anything, not even clothing, (laughs) which is ridiculous for the camp counselors. And but Platinum Dunes, the team behind uh, reboots on many great many horror films, uh, such as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and 2010, everybody's favorite, a Nightmare on Elm Street reboot. Uh, they're they're very much interested in pursuing a Friday the 13th reboot or continuation. And here is a quote from Andrew Form, one member of Platinum Dunes. He stated as follows, quote, Friday the 13th is the one for us because we were so close to filming that version. 
about a year and a half ago and we loved the screenplay and we had and we were so close on that one. I think that's the one out of everything we've done in the past, except for Ninja Turtles. We hope to bring another Turtle movies out, but I think Jason is the one right now for us that we'd love to get our hands on, unquote. So, Stacy, we start with you. Uh, Friday the 13th. So many legal bullshit going on with this film, this franchise. Uh, I personally kind of enjoyed the reboot, kind of, yeah, like 50, 60, 50, 50, whatever. What are your thoughts on this? Um, well, I think my thoughts is Friday the 13th is a tired franchise in general. Um, it's been through, you know, countless, I mean, sequels and remakes, reboots. It's really, this is one franchise that it's time to really just put to rest, regardless. Uh, So, I I really think that uh, it's run its course. Agreed, agreed. Uh, Steven, your opinion on continuing the franchise and this lawsuit? You know, I, I get a lot of a lot of flack for this, but I'm not a huge Friday the 13th guy, and I, I think it's part of it's just because a, a generation, or excuse me, a generational kind of thing. I was born kind of after the the slasher craze, so I never really got to see it be revolutionary it jason was just always a figure in horror to me so i think when you look at that and how the community reacts to him i mean if you follow any kind of fan page for any kind of horror you're gonna see a thousand jason posts a day you're gonna hear all about the movies whether you've seen them or not and i do think it's going to be hard for them to continue with with just a he's just a villain who kills people because that's what he does i at this point his his background has kind of been explored his motivation i don't really know what more they can develop with that and as far as the lawsuit goes i mean i i don't know who who's right or who's wrong in the situation if if they they have found that he has his right to pursue this in court then he has his right to pursue it in court whether it's right or wrong to the fan base but I think it shows that there still is interest in this genre that it helped create and I would I would really be more interested to see them continue on with a story that didn't necessarily just focus on Jason but maybe took some of these ideas of what made Friday the 13th great and take them and make something new that provided us with a setting that's that's more modern and gave us something different to fear. I mean th- there can't be new ways to provide us with a great killer with the general storyline and what makes this movie cool is just somebody stalking after you i just can't believe that we can't evolve anything further than what was developed in the 80s or throwing him in space (laughs) i had a feeling you were gonna say something about that last (laughs) one jason x jason 10 uh what the hell was that but yeah, I agree fully. Uh, 
every villain needs a well-designed backstory and jason just doesn't have that anymore i mean he's a zombie killing people uh just uh, just entertainment value people enjoy the gore much so as audiences appreciated year after year the saw franchises with the gore factor i think that's what really pushed friday the 13th those kill scenes yeah. come on he was is he a demon uh because of course he went to hell and people got possessed and he started killing but technically he's a zombie throughout the whole series it's a mishmash of everything and i think the franchise it's it's a staple in horror nonetheless but as uh stacy you have stated uh, it's overstated it's welcome we need something more different perhaps psychological maybe but the video game really branched out and appealed to a wide mass appeal even though i've read the reviews and it was difficult to survive the game but nonetheless i think that's what jason needs perhaps going to vr content or a, a sequel to the video game if this lawsuit uh, does get settled and gun media can create more DLCs or sequel. Uh, Stacy, you played the Jason game, but for mobile, right? Uh, yes, I think it's called the, uh, the Friday the Killer, no, Friday the 13th Killer game or uh, something like that. I mean, you could play it both on mobile and on the computer, um, but it's not the actual Friday the 13th game. I think this is called the Killer Puzzle. Uh, I haven't okay. played the actual game yet. And th I mean, the Killer Puzzle is cool. It's repetitive, um, but actually gets pretty hard. I've been stuck on uh, this one chapter for a while, so it gets pretty hard, but at the end of the day, it, it, it gets competitive just like any other puzzle game does but uh the, the graphics the kills and everything are definitely uh good and i agree with you ken um like now exploring uh, more into the video game for jason would be best uh, as far as the films go those need to be put to rest because i mean like you guys said we have 10 films from the original franchise and then it branches off into reboots you know just remakes and everything so as far as the films go those need to be put to rest but um i am definitely looking forward to playing the uh the game yeah i think the game will be a collector's <laughs> item if gun media doesn't create anything else for it and it just remains as it is right now perhaps i'm wrong but uh, that's usually the case if they become collector's items so. but jason for vr i think that would be a great concept but what do you think about that steven well i mean i'm a i'm a diehard horror gamer that's that's one of the things that that has kept me in these this genre since i was a kid and the vr is always something new and exciting because it's it's new technology and i think it's it's something that really contrasts Friday the 13th because it's an old idea. But but when you actually provide us with something new, people are interested in it and they want to get their hands on it. And I think that that was one of the things that was so cool about the game is that, you know, 
we got our kills we have our killer we have our camp counselors but it gets us something that's a little more interactive and it provides us with new scares because you never know what's going to happen throughout the course of the game and I think it goes to show the success of that. I mean, you have games like Friday 13th, you have games like Dead by Daylight, and it's, it's, it's basically the same concept. It's, you know, you have one killer and you have the other people trying to work together to escape. And while we might not see Friday 13th live too much longer in the game form just because of this lawsuit, because they can't get new content, I do think we're going to see kind of this need for this game in the market because people are going to look elsewhere for new content. So whether it's an established game like Dead by Daylight or another asymmetrical horror game, which there's a handful in the works right now, I think we're going to see more room for things like this in the genre. And I mean, if they can't swing this, then maybe when they do a new Ninja Turtles movie, they could at least give Casey Jason's mask or something. <laughs> yeah, I never thought of that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. Segment 2 Exclusive Interview Stephen Gillespie Possessed Radio As I stated earlier in the podcast, we have a special guest co-host, Stephen Gillespie from Possessed Radio. And Possessed Radio is a podcast that covers the wide spectrum of horror content. And now this is the part of our podcast where we would grill, interview, and pick Stephen's brain on all things horror a possessed radio and other aspects of his life and career uh to pick it off steven uh yeah. possessed radio uh how was it established and how do you describe this platform gosh i started possessed radio about uh, i guess it's been about nine months now it's kind of something that I've always wanted to do. Horror has always been a passion of mine since I was just little. And I've kind of always wanted to talk to people about it and find some like-minded people because personally in my circle of friends, I don't really get that too often. So I decided to kind of scour around the internet and I did find that I was not totally an isolated weirdo. There are other people who enjoy this content. So I, I kind of decided that I would attempt to find a way to talk to these people and to give myself some legitimacy i tried to make this podcast and i mean from there i would describe possessed radio aside from the first few episodes where i was trying to figure out a sound in my my niche i would say that possessed radio is a show that talks about horror in games and movies talking about things retrospectives but it has a major focus on interviewing independent filmmakers and kind of this idea of promoting original content that I think the industry sorely needs. Steven, so possess uh, so radio and given that, you know, coming up, we're going to be talking also about, uh, about, you know, uh, UFOs and whatnot. What is your take on possession and horror 
on, you know, anything like shapeshifters, uh, alien, uh, extraterrestrial, paranormal. What are your What are your thoughts on this uh, theme alone? Well. I think when I look at that kind of stuff, I, I personally find it just as great entertainment. I, I'm not really a, a believer in anything like that. I, I guess the idea that maybe there's some tiny infinitesimal place far away that has some kind of organism that's alive could be an alien. But aside from UFOs flying around, I don't really think so. I think ghost stories intrigue me. I absolutely love them. I love the history behind them. I'm a huge nerd. So I always love learning about them. I love hearing culturally about different things that people find out and what scares them and how it differs throughout the world. I think that's really cool. And I love possession movies, but I guess I don't actually believe in any of that myself. Thank you. And touching on that... It the paranormal is such a wide spectrum in itself. Uh, we just talking about that the yesterday on Everything Horror podcast, which we were uh, guests on, and I just made a joke. I said, do aliens and shapeshifters and ghosts do they all like congregate together and say, okay, we gotta haunt this house over here or something else? We gotta abduct this cow over there? I don't know. It's just comical in a way that there's so much in the paranormal realm well apparently they all hang out at the the skinwalker ranch as as we're <laughs> gonna take a look at this movie up ahead <laughs> oh yes yes that's that is so true uh for possessed radio uh what is your opinion now with the current landscape of digital and social media being easily accessible uh for the masses do you think that this is the future for journalism and for entertainment in general? Because we have YouTube, we have Facebook Watch, we have Instagram TV. And I wouldn't be too surprised in a couple of years, we would have other platforms where content creators such as ourselves as podcasters will revolutionize uh, entertainment and news. Yeah, I think it's all a really exciting concept, personally. I think that there are a lot of people out there who want to try their hands at things, and they're just now being given a platform that normally they wouldn't have unless they completely pursued some kind of degree in entertainments or communications or or maybe knew somebody. I think that now what we're seeing is a chance for people to kind of take things and build a platform that's more specialized. And with the internet, you can find information on whatever you're searching for. So it's more likely that you're going to find a website that's devoted to independent horror, or maybe your thing is music. That's a specific niche genre. I think it's a lot of opportunities, but at the same time, it opens up doors for kind of journalism that may or may not be up to the I guess the standards that we would like to see in normal reporting, it, it, it can definitely contribute to rumors or, or false information. But I do think that specifically with horror and with all this digital manufacturing of releasing videos and things like that, I do think it's going to open up platforms for people who normally could not get distribution for their works to kind of 
spread their reach and get more people following along. And I think it's a really exciting time overall. What is your favorite topic and more to talk about, whether it be movies, whether it be uh, video games, literature, what do you like to talk about the most and why? Oh gosh, that's such a hard question. (laughs) I, I get so, so absolutely excited about so much stuff with horror. I mean, I could listen to people tell ghost stories so much just to hear the background of it. I mean, that might be it. I, I do really enjoy hearing the the backgrounds or like the origins of of certain tales, especially if they have been developed into to movies or things like that. But if I had to absolutely choose, I think it would be talking to independent creators talking about their thought process or their inspirations. I think that to me really is what interests me in this genre because fear to me is the, is, is really the only universal kind of feeling that everybody can relate to. Everybody's been afraid of something in their life, whether it was rational, whether it was extreme, whether it was nothing, everybody has been scared. And I think it's so cool that we have a genre that is devoted to having somebody project what they are afraid of and put it into this medium for other people to experience. I, I think it's just a really cool thing and it, it, it can be so diverse. Oh, yes. Uh, agreed. And horror cinema, in my opinion, is perhaps the only genre that social commentary can be entwined as well as presenting the audience with the scare factor, whether it be George Romero's uh, zombie franchise or the most recent and everybody... Uh, brings this film up, uh, Jordan Peele's Get Out. In your opinion, social commentary infused in the script and the plot. Uh, how do you notice these, and how does how do you how do you interpret what the director is trying to tell you? Is that a pivotal focus when you watch these films? For me, absolutely, it is. I, I'm always super interested in the background of what what makes people come up with their their process for a movie, and like you talked about, like Romero, like he has so many messages. And maybe maybe when you look at Night of the Living Dead, the the racial implications was not something that he explicitly tried to explore. It's just something that happened, and as it turns out now, it's it's cinema history. But I mean, as it evolves, you you look at dawn of the dead and you're looking at american consumerism or you're looking at day of the dead when you're you're looking at mistrust of the government or even when he did it with the crazies i mean it's such an important concept and i think that if you look back in time sure you're gonna have great movies that just stick out because they're great but a lot of these movies that are really heavy with with social commentary the ones that stand out in in last time i mean you have all of romero's works you have rosemary's baby with these themes of what a woman has to go through or, or the control she has over her own decisions and her body. You, I I mean, it comes up so often in the horror that really has staying power. And I think it is attempted today and it, and it could be more relevant today than ever. I mean, when you look at something like get out and it's just another cultural aspect too, like 
for me, I can't necessarily empathize with what the main character in that goes through because that's not an experience I could have. But because you get this chance to kind of project your fear, it, it becomes something that allows you to kind of understand something that can be so scary to someone else. And I think it's just really important to to build these common ideas and understand people. And I mean, even with, like I saw the first purge the other day, they they tried to go heavily into a more political realm and things like that. So I think when you look at horror, it's definitely not something that you should understate when somebody is trying to send a message. But at the same time, for those who don't want to see it, I think you at least have the horror content with a lot of these movies that that helps it stay relevant as well. Speaking on social commentary and creator and content, what are your thoughts on the future of horror for journalists such as ourselves? Uh, What are your thoughts on the future? I think it's bright. I think it's going to be competitive, but I think it's bright. I think that more people are starting to realize that they have the potential to access these platforms and and try to make a name for themselves. And the more people you see have successes, the more it drives you forward and, and gives hope to other people. And I would say that the inspiration is going to make things tougher in the future. But at the same time, I also think that it opens up more opportunities and it makes this whole a better place because it allows for more diversity and different ways of looking at things. And to me, that's what horror is all about. It's how can you look at something that to you seems so mundane, but to someone else may be completely different, maybe horrifying. And that we're just going to have more opportunities. And with the establishment of so many people getting involved, I think that filmmakers are also going to start listening to what the consumers want to see. And I think we are eventually, I don't think it's going to be in the next couple of years, but I think eventually people will start to rebel against this idea of remakes or kind of stagnant horror and will want new ideas. I certainly hope so. And I certainly hope that the barriers, not only with the recent uh, Me Too movement for women, but also for the Latinos and African-Americans, I always state that in there are so many filmmakers that have already created a version, their own interpretation of a get out type of plot. And they their film doesn't get the light of day because Hollywood's keep dishing out these reboots and remakes. So hopefully uh, soon the barriers will be broken. We can see diversity in our talents. Absolutely. And for the question, uh, the future for Possessed Radio, uh, with the advancements of social media now, uh, what are your considerations, uh, thought bubbles to branch out with your medium? Well, right now, I'm, I'm pretty heavily busy with school, and I'm, I'm kind of wrapping up a doctorate right now. But horror is ultimately my passion and I don't plan to slow this down. So after I get done with a few speed bumps over the next year, I I plan to really be able to put more effort into this. And 
like right now I, I have so many cool opportunities. I've been given the chance that this year I'm going to be able to judge films for a film festival for the Midwest Horror Festival. I'm super excited about that. I'm really hoping that that's going to open up so many doors to talking to so many more independent filmmakers. I would absolutely adore the chance to do that and really start to talk to these distributors who I think can be absolute heroes when it comes to this because there's a lot of good places that actually focus on independent films and churning out stuff that maybe it has a theme, maybe it doesn't, but I I think it would be really cool to go from there to see what people are interested in seeing and how they they kind of come to their decisions with that. But I, I would also like to take time to make some videos on YouTube as well. I, I have a plan in the future for an indie horror showcase, really. And that is kind of to see what people can provide me as far as films to check out. I want to provide some stills, kind of give a synopsis, and then kind of encourage people to go check these out. I, I think that the future of Possessed Radio is just in more advertisement for people who who are not getting it, really, and should be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. And that's the best part of creating a medium such as ours is the evolution, the process, and of course, the patience. Uh, unfortunately, I came across a tweet the other day of, someone was asking, oh, how do I get more followers? Uh, Hey, dude, uh, think about the content and dishing out more content as opposed to getting 10,000 followers. That's not the objective. The objective is the message to the masses. Absolutely. And the only other option is ritual sacrifice. And Fingers crossed for that one. (laughs) (laughs) Stacey, you're up. Stephen, um, to add to what you said, I also feel like we can be a voice for um, horror aficionados everywhere. So if you had to be the voice for fans of the horror genre in general, what what, what advice, what would you say to uh, directors and filmmakers, what advice would you give them um, that speaks for us fans in horror? If I got the opportunity to do that, I would tell the people who who have the ability to provide us content to take their wildest ideas and not to bottleneck themselves and to actually work towards making them a reality. Because I don't think that there's anybody necessarily who goes to sleep trying to think of, how can I replicate this Friday the 13th kill? Or how can I make Michael Myers clone. I, I would t- I would tell these people to really take whatever it is, the story that's in your head that you want to tell and, and actually embellish it, make it your own. And I think that the audience would respond to that. The, from the slate of directors that we have interviewed, uh, a handful have expressed that their project, their film, was attributed to either an experience, a dream, a thought, and it scared them so much that they actually went out and created their first or second horror film based on that experience. So yeah, that is great advice, definitely. And for, I despise using the word aspiring. Once you pick up a camera and you put it up and you start creating 
content and uh, measuring light and doing cinematography. You're a filmmaker, so the word aspiring is out of the equation. You're a filmmaker and do your dream. I, I always emphasize, don't wait till you're 90 years old on your deathbed wishing you could have made a horror film. <laughs> the time is now, we have the technology now to create film at a low cost too. Yeah, uh, your mobile phone records in high definition. Uh, and with that said, uh, Possessed Radio, how important was it to you to set up everything, getting all the nooks and crannies to make the podcast sound as good as it does uh did you went do your research uh did you investigate the proper microphones in order to set everything up oh gosh you know you are giving me some serious horrific night flashbacks right now <laughs> because I, I i like to think i'm a pretty smart guy but if there's one thing i don't know it's sound design as i found out and I, I don't have any background with, with any of this, and I, or at least I didn't prior. And I, I did spend a lot of time researching, and sadly, I, I think I used the researching time prior as procrastination because I, I was a little apprehensive about it until I finally just said, you know, screw it, I'm going to do this. Right. But yeah, I, I definitely I utilized a lot of a lot of Facebook pages, uh, just looking at different kind of podcast pages, and. I, I'll admit I spammed them hard. I mean, I was on there every day like, hey, can you answer this question? Can you answer this question? And I'm sure people hated seeing my face pop up in their their feeds every now and then. But for the most part, I think I think the results were good. And I wouldn't say that I have anything like professional quality or anything like that. But I would say that when I had the funds and I felt like I could spend them and also eat more than ramen noodles that week, I think I did use them wisely in the equipment to improve in areas that I thought I needed improvement. If you listen to my first couple episodes, I had a, a very basic mic. I was in a very echoey room. Uh, I'm also in Flint, Michigan. There's a lot of background noise here. There's a, there's a heavy highway going by. Uh, there's sirens. It, I had to do a lot of work to kind of get it so that I'm not echoing or picking up this background noise. But when it comes to that, I think what's really cool about the podcast community is that you have a ton of people who are not radio experts and you have a lot of people who have gone through the headaches and are willing to help someone else new out. So if you're considering a podcast, I would definitely tell you to go for it. Absolutely. And yeah, uh, the irony there is when we created our podcast, I have a degree on audio engineering and record production, but I don't have a degree on uh, the various platforms to record a podcast. Uh, case in point, like Skype and Google Hangouts. So yes, our first few episodes were terrible in that aspect. So even though I had the equipment, I was like, why do why does this recording sound like shit? Uh, but <laughs> but it's all part of the uh, trial and error and. It, even if your podcast does sound like shit, this is for the general audiences. It's it's not the quality is not, you know, don't start out with the $500 mic. If you can, cool. If you can't, don't. And it's the content. And if the content is there and you gain your audiences that way, uh, those got to be the 
the dedicated audiences, if they could follow you, even if it's at your lowest point, imagine when you grow. So always keep that in mind. Don't. It's not the followers, it's the content. And always keep creating, be consistent. Uh, thank you so exactly. much. Exactly, my major advice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, go right ahead. My, my last piece of advice would be to to take my route. If if you can't get 100% sound quality, try to provide quality content. And if you can't do that personally, just just have guests on that are super interesting. I, right. That is a that is a very important aspect right there. You you got that right. Uh, thank you so much for letting us pick your brain on the horrors and uh, possessed radio and various aspects of of your delivery of content for the horror community and thanks a lot for yeah, providing the audiences with the rich information of the independent scene and the various topics on horror well thank you guys segment three trailer first impressions ufo united 367 preparing for takeoff please advise copy that 367 stand by Kicking off our third and final segment is the film UFO, and this is an interesting film. It's written and directed by Ryan Esslinger, and the synopsis reads as follows. One UFOlogist shares what he believes to be proof of extraterrestrial beings. This film is slated to release this year, 2018. It is listed on IMDb as an action sci-fi thriller, and it is rated PG-13. Uh, an interesting aspect that I found here is uh, actress Gillian Anderson will be starring in this film. And it's funny because she doesn't want to continue her role on the X-Files and the X-Files is heavily revolving around the theme of UFOs and alien visitations, kidnappings, so on and so forth. So it feels strange to me that she's acting in a movie that has the same premise. Well, nevertheless, I'm interested. Uh, I'm always curious about UFOs and extraterrestrials, visitations, crop circles and related news. I'm interested. I'm curious to know if this film does reflect the true account of the UFO sighting that happened in 2006 at the Chicago O'Hare International Airport. And in that incident, there was a UFO, which doesn't mean aliens. UFO is unidentified flying object. If it's in the sky and you don't know what the fuck it is, it's unidentified. Doesn't mean there's green little men inside. Uh, they had to shut down the airport. The air traffic controllers have it recorded on their radar. The planes that were passing by at that time seen it with their eyes. 
and they recorded it on their devices and people on the ground also seen it. It was circular in the clouds above the airport. Was it extraterrestrial? We may not know. Was there a cover-up? You bet there was. This is one of the main aspects why I want to watch this movie. And even though it's fiction, perhaps they give some insights on how the government hushes up the witnesses, cover up the incident, and other conspiracy-type aspects. Steven, what is your opinion on this trailer slash this film? You know, with all you just said, I, I think it's just the Russians. You know, they're always watching. But <laughs> uh, I think this is also proof that maybe Scully wasn't such a buzzkill. Maybe she did actually want to believe. But I, I do think it's interesting that she showed up for this movie. Like you said, that she, she kind of wanted to get away from that role and she definitely put herself back in that role. But I, I don't know. I, I am interested in this movie. It, I think that of all the things that get explored in horror, I think that what, what is lacking is, is the alien scene. I mean, yeah, we have alien. We have our fourth kind and, and that kind of film. But we don't really have a ton that I'm aware of as far as kind of documenting a more realistic look at something if this is what it's going for especially if, it, if it's taking more into account the kind of government looking into things too i think it's a cool concept i'm, I'm kind of excited to see it yeah stacy well my sentiments are with both of you Candace Steven, about uh jillian anderson and i actually when i saw her on the chat i was like wait a minute I thought she was trying to branch out into something different. I thought she didn't want to be that character anymore. I'm like, oh, she specifically meant, you know. <laughs> okay, so um, now the trailer, um, I like that it is full of mystery and suspense. Uh, like, you know, based on the, the title and stuff, so we know what it's about, but still it's more of a minimalist trailer so a lot of questions come to mind when you're watching it so I do like that um, and it just makes me that much more eager to watch it right and one thing with our trailer first impressions <laughs> uh, watching a trailer what we look for is the acting is the acting good the uh, the cinematography is going to be evident in the trailer, even if it's a one minute clip, at least you could get an idea of how the film flows. Uh, most cases, uh, probably 90% of the cases, uh, the action intense scenes are provided to act as a marketing lure for audiences so that way they can watch the film. But in this instance, I think the thriller component was uh, emphasized more and that conspiracy feel that they, yeah I want to watch this to find out more on the plot than say eye candy what are your thoughts uh, Steven yeah yeah I, th I think that's a good point I, I do think they, they did well in avoiding kind of the, the it comes at night kind of trailer where they mislead us into thinking this is some kind of alien invasion movie or something like that I do think that 
their their cast is reputable. I mean, they have a few strong players in this, so I, I would definitely expect for them to have you know some dialogue heavy stuff or or just some chances to really show off what they can do in terms of actually speaking. So I, I do think that that's going to be right. I do think they're going to take a, a different edge at this. That's going to have some implications in showing what this trailer actually showed us. Right. And we, we spoke earlier on uh, actors getting pigeonholed into a certain role. And I got to just got to bring up Gillian Anderson. Really? Uh, come on. For that, just go back to the X-Files and continue being Scully. Uh, what is going to be next? Uh alien abduction movie perhaps all right stacy uh, stacy have you seen uh, the x-files yeah. lately <laughs> stacy you there yeah i'm sorry uh what were you saying i didn't hear the question oh if you have seen the recent x-files and what is your opinion on that or her being on this movie oh no, uh, like I said, I'm so out of touch when it comes to X Files. Uh, last I last I saw was years ago, probably more so in the beginning of it, and I haven't watched since then. So <laughs> I'm way out of touch when it comes to X Files. Oh, <laughs> uh, I haven't kept up with the last episode, well, the last season, actually. Uh, final thoughts, Stacy, and then uh, Stephen on this film. Well, yeah, uh, just like I said, um, I'm eager to watch this movie because of the mystery and suspense uh, surrounding in the trailer. Um, and you know, you both made some very good points, so I would definitely be uh, looking out for this. Yeah, as much as I love to see Space Marines, I don't think we're going to get in this film, but I do think they're going to take a, a unique approach. So I, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Cool. Uh, no release date yet, according to my sources, but it has a 2018 uh, confirmation. Uh, so yeah, we just got to wait and see. The Witch in the Window. house. I'm flipping it. So they, they didn't tell you about her. Lady lived here when I was a kid. She died? Do you think there's something wrong with the house? Maybe. Do you? When Simon brings his 12-year-old son, Finn, to rural Vermont to help flip an old farmhouse, they encounter the malicious spirit of Lydia, a previous owner. And now with every repair they make, she's getting stronger. Uh, the Witch in the Window is written and directed by Andy Mitten. The, the cast stars Arija Barakis, I probably butchered that last name, uh, Charlie Packer, Alex Draper, Greg Naughton, Carol Sanzion, and Zach Jetty. Um, another minimal 
minimalistic trailer that uh, is filled with suspense and mystery. Uh, Ken, what did you think about The Witch in the Window? Uh, Shudder. This looks to be another original film for Shudder. Uh, yeah, it catches my attention. For one, I enjoyed the acting. There, there was a good, consistent chemistry between the characters that not reflect any type of B-movie stylized conveyance. At the same time, the ghost, the apparition, you don't know what it is. It, it was a clever whoever edited this trailer to not reveal too much on the paranormal entity. But we know that this house is haunted with, and the concept of someone flipping the house, which in most instances of hauntings, that's always the case. New tenants come in, start redecorating an old house and it stirs up the spirits, uh, the dormant spirits actually. I'm interested uh, just for those aspects alone, uh, technical wise, I think this is a, it looks to be an impressive film. I uh, can't wait for it to come out. Steven. Yeah, I think if, if Shudder is, is taking part in this as well, you know that it's going to have some kind of quality to it. So I think that's something to look forward to. And I could be wrong about this, but I believe one of the things that I read for this movie when I was looking into it was that there's some strife between the father and the son. So... I think that might be something that we see play into this too, which would add another element to the drama of it. And I think that what this trailer really does well is kind of establish the setting, which if you're doing a haunted house film is absolutely crucial. So I really like the look of it. Right. And for the jump scares, <laughs> I'm glad they did not show that in this trailer or any type of cheap marketing tactic that is so prevalent in paranormal type films and even revealing the the antagonizing force uh, no keep it a secret i don't want to see it uh stacy uh, what type of vibe did you get from this film uh creepy thriller drama uh i definitely got a creepy vibe um and just like what you said i like how they didn't really show what it was in the trailer um, because that definitely would have gave it away. I mean, based on the title, it says The Witch in the Window, so we we know that it's a witch, you know. <laughs> um, like you said, whatever it is, but um, just that they took the minimalist route, uh, route and it's more of a teaser than anything, uh, that definitely uh made me even much more eager to see it right and i believe this i could be wrong but this is not the first original film for shutter they did release a film last year uh the name escapes me at the moment but a fender bender there it goes fender bender mm. and it didn't go well with the horror community in my opinion i think i thought that film was unique in its own way it yeah it did pay homage to other films uh 
genres and types. You had the home invasion, you had the slasher, you had all that other elements. But it's great to see that streaming platforms are branching out with their own content. Of course, we all know Netflix is kicking ass with original content. And if Shudder and other platforms pop up with the same thing strictly for sci-fi, thrillers, and horror, yeah, this, this could be a great way for indie filmmakers to just uh, make an aim for themselves. And I think you alluded to this uh, topic earlier in the podcast, Stephen. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think that we're going to start seeing people get more opportunities to display their stuff because there's, you know, that level of cost when you have to find somebody who can, you know, put your your work into production, get get an audience to make a DVD for or a Blu-ray or, you know, there might even be troubles distinguishing what you want to go to because you might have to make that sacrifice. But I, I do think that's one of the more exciting things. And I think I saw online like it's it's ridiculous i think for next year netflix is projected to spend more money making content than hollywood or something like that and the amount of potential with that for us to see not even just people who do well with that content but even if they get some legitimacy to go on to bigger and better things especially when you have that opportunity with a genre like horror which is isn't always appreciated, I would say. A lot of people write it off as blood and guts or something like that when, like we talked about earlier, there is, you know, different commentary to go along with things or, or other meanings. So I think this is going to be really exciting. And specifically for this trailer, I do think you're right. It's great that they didn't show too much. Like when you look at something like the Halloween trailer, I, I think they may have given away some of their better scares in that trailer just to, <laughs> to get a few more ticket sales as opposed to solidifying people's enjoyment so i i have i have a good good feeling about this one right and i'm not even gonna put my two cents on the halloween no 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 <laughs> no no uh, we could go into a whole conversation about that uh no but yeah this trailer yeah i'm 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 eager to see this uh 2018 release correct stacy so yeah i'm looking forward to that Actually, this month of 2018, it doesn't give a specific date, but it says July 2018. Oh, well, I guess we got to keep our eyes glued to this platform uh, for its release. Uh, most likely, I'll get the press release, <laughs> just as everyone else will, and it would circulate uh, throughout the, the news platforms. Right. Hunt for the Skinorca. The global public is not ready to have global confirmation of this. A lot of disturbing things will occur. It, it's just too powerful. Skinwalker Ranch. This is like the Area 51 of the paranormal. It was not a single phenomenon. There were a host of things that happened. Next, we have a documentary titled Hunt for the Skinwalker. And this comes from the distributors, The Orchid. And we deal with uh, The Orchid as part of our providing 
coverage for their content that they release. And the Orchid, the, they distribute more on the paranormal, UFOs, the unknown, documentaries on this field, which is curious. And in this case, we have the Skinwalker Ranch. This documentary is written and directed by Jeremy Kenyon Locker Horbell. The synopsis for this documentary reads as follows. Hunt for the Skinwalker is a documentary about the most intensive scientific study of a UFO and paranormal hotspot in human history. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I am a big aficionado of this topic, even though I'm kind of a skeptic. I, I keep up with the news, updated footage and stuff like that. Skinwalker Ranch, it, it creeps me out because there are reports of aliens, alien war with the U.S. military, as well as Indian uh, skinwalker creatures. And for those who may not know, those are... Uh, these entities that take human form and they shapeshift into different things. In most cases, it's a wolf. Paranormal activities include poltergeist activities, alien abductions, cattle mutilation. It's a weird place. The earth is a weird place. Maybe this site, this ranch, is on a hot spot maybe it's on a magnetic field which is natural or per perhaps this is uh, a alien hub where this is the strange part of the skinwalker ranch robert bigelow created bigelow aerospace and his company sends space shuttles up into space there are planning to build a hub into space for rich people in case something goes down on earth they could go into their little spaceships that they purchase and go and colonize this uh, spaceport uh, that's in orbit my question is he was the owner of this ranch what does he know that it keeps him in preparation for these uh, space shuttles it's just weird and not only that but he's also the head of MUFON which is an organization that collects all of the documented UFO cases around the world hmm this is a big conspiracy theory Stephen what is your opinion on this my first opinion is that someone did some serious homework. <laughs> uh, it It's an interesting concept. And if I had to make a guess, it's a tired trope, but this is totally an ancient Native American burial ground. But um, no, it, it's an interesting concept. I had actually heard of this prior to this documentary. I, I can't say I, I knew about it into that kind of scope, but I had heard of people citing this as paranormal sightings and i had heard tales of this kind of wolf that was sort of this native american legend of people transforming into them i've also heard that they they can also trans uh transform into a bird and that's how they kind of get away from situations quickly it, it's an interesting concept but 
w what's cool about the the paranormal kind of stuff that I like to hear about is how different cultures end up having their own ideas of things that kind of overlap, even though they could be cultures that have never had any real contact with each other. So it almost kind of makes you wonder if this is some place that some kind of meshing of cultures happened so that people could have almost transmitted ideas and that's where a lot of these stories came from or maybe there is something more bizarre going on here that is so top secret you have people conspiring to keep it that way that is so true and they documentary well not a it was a documentary it was a tv show uh jesse ventura former governor of minnesota former wrestler and a big enthusiasts on conspiracies and everything from JFK assassination to the Skinwalker Ranch. He had featured this in one of his episodes. Stacy, I forward that segment to you. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, with that information that you had seen prior to this podcast? Uh, was it an eye opener or what? Uh, well, Ken, I wish you could see me shaking my head at you right now. Um, <laughs> I will have to say that this was laid on pretty heavy on me. I mean, from the trailer <laughs> to doing this, the little research I can about it to the video you sent me. Anid's word, mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yes, that's Anid's word. <laughs> my word. That that is all I can say is heavy with a capital heavy. Okay, I, I don't even know where to start here, and uh, yeah, so it's way beyond an eye opener. Right, and I from that segment, I, I applauded when Jesse Ventura, Jesse Ventura cornered Robert Bigelow and asked him questions about the Skinwalker Ranch uh, because Bigelow is such an elusive figure and he works for NASA. He doesn't do interviews at all. So for Jesse Ventura to corner him and say, hey, uh, what are you doing? Why are you building these spaceships? Why are you planning a space hub to orbit the Earth? What, what do you know? Why did you take over MUFON? It's it's a huge heavy conspiracy i tell you that and steven uh i know you you mentioned your opinions on this field but uh, does it ever like let the light bulb turn on that there could be some type of conspiracy or aliens in our government or something like that uh you know i i am somebody who believes in like government conspiracies to a degree I don't, I don't know if they involve aliens so much but i definitely believe that there's probably some real interesting history that people are not privy to <laughs> and nor will they ever be unless we you know run for president or something but i it, the concepts are interesting and i think that a lot of the information that does get passed around in rumors or or these thoughts about aliens and things i think that a lot of times what they could be is is government stuff going on but i don't think it's necessarily aliens i do think it could be testing new technology that we have no idea exists but that, i think that's where i stand on that one cool and to close out this segment i just gotta throw this out there uh recently about 
three or four months ago, we had an interstellar visitor and that was labeled off as a meteor. But more research was done and conducted on this supposedly meteor. And there, even Stephen Hawkins, which he passed away shortly after his theory on what this meteor, this intergalactical meteor was, he came to the conclusion that it was uh, artificial and it wasn't just a rock flying into space. First of all, it used the propulsion systems of nearby moons, which is the same technique that we use to put our satellites and shuttles up into space and into orbit. It came into our solar system and catapulted out into the far uh, reaches of space at such a speed and precision that it couldn't have been space rock. And the interesting thing is Japan, three weeks ago, discovered another anomaly and they're sending a space shuttle, uh, actually a satellite there to investigate this particular one that is traveling at a slower rate of speed. So food for thought, maybe we are not alone. <laughs> it, it sounds like he might have said too much. Maybe his, maybe his death wasn't wasn't natural course of things. That's th that also rose uh, some conspiracy because of his uh, passing. So after he made that comment, he passes away. He says, wait a second. Hmm. How did this happen so quickly? <laughs> Life changer. I know love exists. Hey, good morning. I'm Detective Ranson. Mind telling me where you were? <laughs> I take people. Their voice, their, their shape, their look, their memories. A murderous shapeshifter sets out on a blood-soaked mission to make things right with the woman he loves. Life Changer is directed by Justin McConnell, who also writes the script. The cast stars Laura Burke, Jack Foley, Elisa Bacco, Rachel Van Duzer, and Steve Kassan. Uh, now, I don't know when was the last time I saw a good shapeshifter film, but I love the whole concept of shapeshifters. Uh, Steven, what did you think about uh, this trailer for Life Changer? You know, this one, I I'm not really too familiar with, with a lot of shapeshifter kind of movies, I guess. Like you kind of got The Thing, which is, you know, classic, but I guess for this one, I... I don't think this one's gonna be for me personally. I guess I just wasn't terribly interested in it. I, I think it looks like it's shot well. I think it looks like the acting's there, but I, I think I would have to really see the final product on this one. Yeah, what a 360. We go from the 
purported real cases of shapeshifters into the fictional realm and hmm, a shapeshifting serial killer uh, it's unique uh, I don't recall anything else like that except for another yeah the thing is another shapeshifting type movie uh, Friday the 13th had is that classified as shapeshifter the one that may I don't think so but in any event I think it's an original idea I would have to wait and see how the final product is myself as well the cinematography is good I did appreciate how different angles were used especially that part where the officer was killed the the, the overhead shot is very good and that's one thing with directors when they're doing a kill scene such as that they need to emphasize the victim and also provide low angle shots which makes the killer look bigger and more intimidating so using those type of angles it says a lot in the visual narrative uh stacy uh Final verdict on this, final thoughts, uh, something that you would want to see, hmm? Uh, yes, well, and I wanted to touch on uh, that part you said when uh, the cop died. Now that scene right there actually drew me in because there was a scene where he, it looks like he was, uh, like his soul would be fucked out or something and then he just like, reincarnates or something and I actually had to do a double take there I had to go back like wait a minute what just happened there <laughs> I don't I don't understand like it, it, it's kind of that body into a different body but it's the same person and that right there I have not seen so yeah uh, I will say that I am uh, interested in this but but Shapeshifting for me would be something like Skinwalker, like the creature would uh, emulate human form, different animals, uh, just like the thing. And I bring up Friday the 13th because that's what this film reminds me of, that it's the spirit entering a different body. That wouldn't be shapeshifting, a technical, well, that would be uh, possession. Creepers? Which one? Jeepers Creepers, wasn't he a shapeshifter? No, he's just a pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed <Ouch>. it. <laughs> oh, but, but, Ray, if we want to be technical, that's not shapeshifting. Yeah. Correct, Steven? Right. Right. I, you know, I, I guess I've never really thought about it too much. <laughs> um,. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Well, it it doesn't catch my attention a lot. Uh, maybe the trailer, whoever edited the trailer, didn't do such a good job. Uh, but the aspects are there that cinematic quality, it's evident. Uh, thank goodness. No B-movie acting. Oh, boy. That would have killed it for me. Uh, but aside from that, it, it just it's interesting. It's interesting. Shapeshifter, serial killer, and there's a bit of a, a drama involved. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'll give it a watch just to watch. And you never know these days. Uh, the trailer could be so crappy, but the film itself is a gem. 
Absolutely. I, I've definitely been guilty of passing up on some films for quite a while because I didn't care for the trailer, but when I finally saw them, definitely some good surprises. Right, right. And that is one aspect uh, for giving a trailer first impressions is, is always you got to look at the technical value of the trailer and how it projects the film. But remember that the trailer is a marketing product, just like the poster art. And one thing that I did appreciate way back when is the poster art for horror films. They were more grotesque and violent in nature and as opposed to now everybody's so politically correct that you can't have a poster of a vampire with its tongue sticking out without somebody saying hey that's too horrifying get that off the side of the bus yeah yeah i think another thing that happens a lot and that people don't realize is that a lot of companies actually hire out someone to make a trailer for them so it's not like the director sits there and and tries to, you know, purposely mislead on what the movie's about. I know when you think like recently, like The Witch or or some of A24's other stuff with like It Comes at Night, which It Comes at Night has an amazing poster. I love that one. But I, I think a lot of people misunderstand the purpose of a trailer. It, it's, it is to tell you what it's about, but it's ultimately to get you to the theater. And they can't really be guilty of misleading too much if they use shots from the movie <laughs> right and and that's an art form in itself uh creating trailers uh spoke with someone on our podcast and it's a science they actually sit down for a couple of weeks and watch the movie over and over again dissecting not one but several uh final products for the company to say yep we want that one and that's the one that would market the film. I agree. And I always say with these trailers, it's a hit or miss. Like very few trailers actually get it right on the head where um, they they tell a, enough about the film to get you to the theaters or to get you to watch it. But it's not like you've seen the whole movie in three minutes. So... That's why I said, like with UFO and the witch in the window, it was perfect because it it was enough to make me want to watch. And then again, I feel like, oh, I didn't, I, I don't feel like I watched this whole movie in this two minute trailer. <laughs> like Halloween well said. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, sometimes that happens where they come out with these, you know. That are long enough to be like short films, and you're just like, well, I feel like I've already watched the film. I don't really need to, you know, go to the theater to see, or I don't need to pay to watch it because I just sat here and watched it right here in this trailer. So I definitely agree that it is that it has become a science picking the right um, method to actually market the film enough to where. It gets people's curiosity going to where they want to watch the movie and not say too much at all. And then you also have some trailers that don't say enough as well. Like that also happens where you're like, well, I don't understand what this trailer is. Like, what is this about now? And then you, <laughs> you know, you have to get from the synopsis. They got this long, like, paragraph of a synopsis 
I'm telling you what's about. It's like, oh, okay, well, now I know what the movie is about based on the synopsis. Yeah. It's, uh, so, yeah. That's all part of movie business. Thank you for tuning in to DK Mag Podcast, Season 8, Episode 1. Wow, time flies. We're already in Season 8. Wow. My name is Ken Artuz, founder for DK Mag. Joining me as co-host this evening was... Stacey Cox, staff correspondent. Be sure to stop by our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash DK Mag. Your donations will help us bring future episodes. As a patron, you'll receive bonus content as well as free and discounted on upcoming VK Mag merchandise. And of course, huge thanks and f- big applause for Stephen Gillespie for Possessed Radio to serve as mm-hmm. our special guest co-host slash interviewee this evening. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. It's been a blast. And you could catch DK Mag Podcasts across all podcast platforms Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. And if you have a Google Home device, all you need to say is OK, Google, play DK Mag Podcast. And boom, like magic, we're on the speaker. And of course, we are DK Mag, not DK Magazine, DK or the word DK. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, yeah, I think I got them all. Google Plus, whoever's on Google Plus. Thank you. And Stephen, please feel free to drop your platforms and your social media handle. Oh, thanks. So you guys can follow me at PossessedRadio.com. And you can look up the Possessed Radio on Facebook as well. Twitter is Possessed underscore radio. And if you're interested in just following what I do daily for the podcast, I put a lot of stuff up on Instagram. It's my personal one. It's Sleepin' Mongoose. There's no I or no G at the end of sleeping. And last, I'll be also including some more information on Midwest Horror Fest. So be sure to keep an eye out for that. And I'll have plenty of news upcoming, so be sure to check it out. Thank you, Stephen. And what did the Steve sleeping mongoose come from? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a it was a nickname I had since I was a little kid. <laughs> wow! Hey, we'll leave it as that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, that's cool. Though. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Till next time. <laughs>